Ukraine right now. Um, usually, you know, war it's crimes get tackled after the hostilities uh, have ended. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can't really give you an intelligent answer on any of that um, other than, you know, yes, The Hague is some place that war crimes have been handled, including by none other than Jack Smith, which I, I think, you know, one of the things that has so impressed me with Jack Smith is, you know, you can leave the Department of Justice and go into private practice and quadruple your salary. I never did that. I spent more than 30 years as a federal prosecutor, first as an army JAG, and then nearly quarter of a century at DOJ. And I said, after that, I can go out and paint houses, I can roof houses, I can work on horse farms, I can work on commercial fishing boats, all of which I did as a gutter kid growing up in Jersey. Um, but I'm not going to go out into private practice and, um, and and represent folks because that's not where I'm comfortable in the system. But Jack Hague, uh, uh, Jack Smith didn't do that. He decided to prosecute war criminals when he left the Department of Justice. And again, that tells me something about the man He's and, and what's important to him, sure. what's value, what he wants to focus on. And that's why I know it doesn't have to do with the war crimes, which are plentiful, it seems, Jack in Ukraine. Smith. But, um, you know, the, the, the Hague is the natural place that I think of when you think of war crimes being prosecuted. Instead yeah, of making the quadruple like Jack Smith salary And like go. yourself, uh, as opposed to some of these career prosecutors that basically only give a shit about their conviction rate, like the guys that went mm -hmm. after me over at SDNY. A lot of people hate that I talk about them. I don't give a fuck about them. You got <laughs> Nick, um, you know, uh, Nick Roos, you know, Tom McKay, Judge Pauly, uh, mm -hmm. who's now deceased. You know, all of them, they're all in this. Uh, Andrea Griswold. I mean, the whole slew of them, all they care about is their conviction rate. And eventually they'll figure out what to do, like the way Robert Kazami is now, I think, over at Guggenheim Partners, making $10 million a year. For what? I have no idea. He's fucking stupid as shit. And other than the fact he has a badge to shove things down your throat, it doesn't really matter. But that's for our next discussion, because <laughs> there's so much going on with that case, too. If only I could get FOIA to turn over the documents that they've been required to. Would you believe it? Since August of 2022, and yet they haven't... They have not provided a single document, and even though the court has told them to. So anyway, more importantly, Glenn, let me as always thank you for joining us today on Maya Copa. Thank you for everything that you do. Um, keep it up. I love, by the way, on your TikToks uh, and your Instagrams. I love when you, you know, when you do your uh, two, three-minute little uh, news breakdowns. I think they're fantastic. Do not stop because, honestly, people need to hear your voice they need to hear truth in what's really going on and so i'd like to thank you myself for everything that you're doing well thanks michael and good luck with your future appearances in new york and i'm, I'm gonna hold fast to your belief that you know justice is coming for the new york state crimes as well as the federal crimes committed by donald trump well you were certainly right about that because we have a dollar bet on that <laughs> all right i will see you soon my friend all right take care this is my main couple. Baby, don't threaten me, but tell your master we don't let me. Take the time to find my oh. team. Thank you. This is thrilling. First of all, for me, it's uh, thrilling to be here. We're in the offices of Prime Minister. Legendary. Uh, 
a legendary satirical magazine. Don't. I see the look on your face. <laughs> the look on Ian Hislop's face is one that says, please, sir, do not praise me. Yeah. For I shall not uh, accept your praise, but accept it. You, you, my friend, it's such an honor to meet you. Such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, and uh, comedian, satirist, uh, cultural commentator, prize fighter, which I was surprised to find out, middleweight <laughs> yeah, champion of the world. Uh, Didn't realize that was in there. Brain surgeon. First violinist? <laughs> what? Ian? Uh, thank you for... Yeah, that's better. I prefer the joke. Yes. We are in uh, private offices in, in London. And I apologize to you because uh, my brain is not quite functioning. I flew in last night. And um, do, you, do you take my time to sleep ever? Um, no. Um, How do you, what do you take? Uh, usually legal action. <laughs> Works a treat. <laughs> Speaking of legal action, sir, uh, you're the key. So I know that Rupert Murdoch has tried desperately uh, to ruin your country. Uh, and he's ruining ours yeah. at, at present. Uh, how do we legally stop him? And I, I mean legally. Yeah, I don't think you can. Really? Um, I mean, there are monopoly laws, which I don't know whether they work um, in the US. They didn't really work here. Uh, we tried a bit of that. There was cross-party support. It didn't really work under our Prime Minister, uh, Tony Blair. In the end, he decided it was better to suck with the devil, so he went and met Murdoch, mm -hmm. um, and he ended up in a compromise. Uh, I think it's up to the rest of us just to challenge it. I mean, Murdoch is trying to set up, at the moment he has a new television station in Britain, which is meant to be like Fox News. Really? Yeah, which is called, I think it's called Talk TV, and it stars, and again, you can, stars is the word, Piers Morgan. No, I'm not familiar with that name. No, and nor with the, the, the use of the word star. Um, so uh, he, he's the lead on this, but I mean, happily for all of us here, it's a terrific flop and no one's watching. Now, this is, so that's, that's how they start. But as a little bit of background, so there was a scandal in 2011, 2010, 2011, where, and it's, it's hard to even fathom sort of uh, the depths of human depravity that they went to. But ultimately, it was uh, the news of the world, and they hacked into the phones of people who yeah. had died. Yeah. And... The revelation that came out of it was obviously the closeness of Rupert Murdoch to conservative MPs and to the, yeah. the, the Tories. The same thing is, is happening again with, are you familiar with this Dominion lawsuit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, from our point of view, this is a continuation of the Trump assault on reality, um, which is essentially things that are quite obviously true, you say aren't true, and right. things that are quite obviously not true, you say are true. I mean, it is an attempt to stop people um, having any connection to the real world right and when we watch from here um fox news or i mean you know, mainstream news with those people on it it's difficult to believe and often in britain we feel we're about five years behind the states so you got trump okay. then we got boris johnson yes uh, you know it's a diminished version but it's the same playbook and we get worried that we will end up in a world where it doesn't matter if you're found out. 
literally where you can come on. And Boris Johnson has a, I mean, he he has been found out. He was removed from office, which is right. is very good news. But they got Capone, they got Capone on taxes. I mean, he was removed from office from having parties. You know, for for having... he wasn't actually. He again, this is part of the narrative yeah. that everyone must remember. He was he was removed from office because all his government resigned after he appointed a man who was a known roper. Of, of young male assistants, uh, and he appointed him to a post in government. Right. And then he sent out his ministers to say, "No, no, I had no idea about him." But actually, he did because his name was um, Pincher, and he called him Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. You see, that's knowledge. He did know about him, and he appointed him. So everybody in his cabinet, you know, more or less from the top downwards, apart from the lunatics, sent letters saying, "I, I can't work with you." You don't tell the truth. You have no moral compass. You well, have no ethics. Yeah, that's that's never been. But can I tell you what a pleasure it is uh, that British corruption is so still clever. I mean, pincher by name, pincher by nature. At least it's a joke. At least it's... You, you have to respect the, the witticisms of the corruption. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is about Boris Johnson. We lost our sense of humor a while back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's no longer the, the wild hair and the zip lining and getting yeah. stuck in the middle. That doesn't, no, that no. doesn't thrill in the way that it used to. No, it's him coming up and saying, look, I told you you could visit your grandmother in the care home when she's dying. But me, I was pissed as a party. <laughs> it's great. You do what I say. But me, I don't have to do it. Don't apply to me. That's right. We've and, got, we've got the, the, the same thing working uh, in the States with, you know, when they were doing the lockdowns. You know, the, the sort of famous one is yeah. Gavin Newsom going to French Laundry, which is this beautiful restaurant in the middle of everything. Yeah. You know. And it gets people really angry. People are still angry here. Right. If you, we've got a scandal blowing up at the, the moment. The then health secretary um, was, he literally was caught on a CCTV camera in his office snogging his assistant. He was married, obviously, conservative you know, tradition in this country. No, it so is. he was snogging his assistant and, in fact, groping her bum. He was caught on CCTV. This is when we were meant to be observing social distancing. Six foot. Like, he wasn't six foot away. He had his tongue down her throat. Um, now, and he'd appointed this woman. I hate to interrupt you, but I just, you know, I'm on a roll. He appointed please. this woman because he'd fancied her when they were at college. Um, and she always thought he was a bit of a geek. But when he became in the government, <laughs> he appointed her to his own team and then got off with her. And the rest of us are thinking... We're wondering whether we can go outside and have a cup of tea or whether we have to say we're exercising or whether the police will move us on. And you're just groping people in your office? Yes. Now, it, it does get you quite annoyed. But to be fair... Uh, I don't want to be the, fair for in a minute. The, in the early <laughs> days... Indictment season is here with Michael Cohen. We're going to pull up and we're going to listen to this awesome thing again. Great news. Glenn Kirshner would bet a dollar. Okay, so Glenn, I heard you speaking about the young United. woman who had been the foreperson on the Fulton County election fraud case. And you seem certain that she was within her legal rights and that it won't affect Trump's case um, at all. But if you were to speculate, who is Fannie Willis going to indict? Well, what we know from the four women of the special grand jury, Emily Kors, um, is that they recommended that more than a dozen people be indicted. When she was asked 
is Donald Trump among those people? You know, she kind of had that. Would actually bet a dollar that Trump will be indicted. Exclamation point. And once he's indicted, that will open floodgates. cat smile and she said look we started with that dirty phone call this is i'm paraphrasing what she said we started with the phone call find me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner so i don't think you're going to be shocked and i don't think it's rocket science who we have recommended be indicted and then in i think a subsequent interview when she was told by the reporter did you see that Donald Trump just posted that your report totally exonerates him. You could see the shock on her face. And she said, he said that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. I love that. You don't have to read between the lines. It looks like Donald Trump is somebody they recommended be indicted. Now, does that guarantee that when Fawny Willis takes that special grand jury report with those recommendations, and heads over to the regular grand jury, the one with the power to indict, that she will say, you know, I am urging you to accept all of these recommendations and indict all of these people. It's not a guarantee, but Michael, when she asked for the special grand jury to be impaneled so she could subpoena these 75 reluctant witnesses, and she got a report from them saying now that we've assessed the evidence here are the people who should be indicted including the liars i can't imagine district attorney willis disregarding all that and not asking the regular grand jury to indict all those people now who are those people going to be you know you're probably going to have a smattering of fake electors now can i say it's going to be the mark meadows of the world the rudy giuliani's of the world the Sidney Powell's, the Jenna Ellis's. I mean, we don't know, but um, I, I did find it really interesting that Miss Coors said that she found guys like Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham to at least be telling the truth about stuff. Now, I don't think we can mistake that for a pronouncement that they didn't commit any election crimes in Georgia. It just feels like they're probably not among the witnesses that the grand jury said, we believe they lied to us and we want Fawny Willis to prosecute them for those lies. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'll be the judge of that. Searchable, verified reviews. Okay, so let me ask you this thing. There's so much speculation about what an indictment of Trump in this Fulton County, Georgia case would look like. What are the charges that you think that Fonnie Willis would end up bringing against? And let's talk about only Donald first. Um, and then we'll talk about Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, and Sidney the Kraken Powell, and a slew of the others, who I'll group by themselves. But let's talk about Donald first. What do you think the crimes that they can charge Donald with? In that specific case. I, I think the mark the marquee crime is soliciting election fraud in violation of Georgia state law, which is a felony. I say that's a marquee crime because you can prove it by just 
pressing play. You know, I had the good fortune of trying some RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C., in which we had wiretap evidence. And in cases apart from RICO cases, I had covert recordings of the defendants talking about the crimes they intended to commit, the crimes they were planning to commit, and the crimes they, in fact, committed. And, Michael, I called those trials just press play, because when you can press play and have your jurors hear with their own ears the crimes that are being described by the defendant sitting across the courtroom, you know, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. The marquee charge, I think, of soliciting election fraud, asking former Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, just give me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner. I have just basically summarized the evidence necessary to prove the elements of that crime, soliciting election fraud. I think that will be a marquee charge. Now, I would urge people to read the Brookings Institute deep dive because they set out a dozen crimes, felonies and misdemeanors alike. I haven't committed them all to memory that they believe the public facing evidence shows Donald Trump committed. But here's the other thing that I, I think is a big ticket question. And there was a, a good op ed in The New York Times by uh, Norm Eisen and Edanya Perry and a, another uh, prosecutor whose name I'm sorry, I, I don't recall offhand. Um, and they talked about should D.A. Willis bring a narrow targeted case with just a marquee charge or maybe the two or three most readily provable charges or should she go scorched earth and use georgia's rico laws to try to bring a broad sweeping prosecution of donald trump and all of his criminal associates for all of the crimes they committed i would urge not that fawny willis needs to hear anything from me she's doing just fine um, I would urge the broad, sweeping RICO approach, and here's why. I tried more than 50 murder cases in the courts of Washington, D.C. Most of them were what I call standalone murder cases. I had a murder as the marquee charge, and then maybe I had some related charges like uh, you know, uh, use of a firearm during a crime of violence, maybe assault with intent to kill if somebody else caught a stray bullet, but basically, it was a contained prosecution, one incident. But then, when I was across the street in federal district court prosecuting RICO cases, because I was involved in the prosecution of the largest RICO conspiracy case we ever brought in federal court in D.C., um, we had more than 100 charges. We had countless racketeering acts. We had murder after murder. We had an organization that was running the drug trade in all four quadrants of Washington, D.C. What did that do? It gave the jury the power of context. This is not one crime or one marquee crime. This is a criminal organization, and it feels to me like Donald Trump has been a member of multiple criminal organizations in his life. One is the Trump Organization, now convicted of a 15-year-long criminal scheme to defraud in the first degree. Uh, it, it feels like his administration was being run as a criminal organization or enterprise. And certainly, you know, everything he was doing down in Georgia with the assistance of others feels like a criminal organization. So, Go ahead. So let me, let me stop you for a second, because 
there's a big difference between something feeling like a RICO versus it actually being a RICO case. Now, I started reading up everything I could on the Georgia RICO Act, uh, which is under you know the Georgia Penal Code, uh, Section 16. And I just really started to get into it because I was curious whether or not Fannie Willis would do exactly what many legal experts, which... I don't put myself in your category. I don't, I, in fact, I'm not even a lawyer anymore, right? Uh, I've been, you know, with my disbarment, uh, so stupid and crazy. But I started reading because up onto Trump. this. And in order for um, Fannie Willis to bring this Georgia Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, one of the things that you must have there is what the law calls a pattern of misconduct. Now, that pattern as it relates to the Trump organization, one had to do with taxes and employee benefits, um, whereas this one, as you appropriately and accurately stated, find me 11,780 votes. And my question to you is whether the misconduct that we're referring to, right, which is has to be two or more crimes um, and has to be specific, um, Include the false statements and the improper influence that you were mentioning, which is find me the 11,780 votes, because most experts in this area think it's a very real possibility that the calls to not just to Brad Raffensperger, but to other election officials, as well as to the conversations that he had with members of his inner circle and um, staff on making these false statements and continuing to promote the false statements with the coordinated attempt um, to obtain these fraudulent electoral certificates, that is the RICO charge that they all seem to be referring to. Introducing Flex Power Tools. More power. Longer runtime. Faster charging. Visit flexpowertools.com. Flex, it's what's next. Have you ever asked yourself, if I can order right. this on my phone, why can't I order this? Or if I can schedule this Thanks on for my phone. 71K listeners. That and remember Rudy Giuliani, who, again, based on the public evidence, it seems like he was involved in a conspiracy with Donald Trump to try to, uh, you know, unlawfully overturn the results of the Georgia election. He was, I believe, named as a target by Fawnie Willis of the Georgia grand jury investigation. We also have information that he was making false statements to Georgia legislators in furtherance of his attempt to overturn the election's results in Georgia. You know, now, the, as you say, most RICO laws, federal and lots of states, I think 32 states have many RICO laws patterned after the federal RICO law, which came first, um, require a pattern of racketeering activity or a pattern of crimes being committed in furtherance of the, the RICO enterprise. But pattern is defined in the law as two. Ain't much of a pattern. You need two racketeering acts to successfully bring a RICO charge in federal court. And you probably have read more about the Georgia state RICO statutes than I have. But you say it takes two down there, too. 
Two is not much of a pattern, and it's not that difficult to prove when you recognize that once a conspiracy has been made out, any member of the conspiracy can commit an act all on their own, as mm. long as it is a natural and probable consequence of the criminal agreement, the crime that they agreed to commit together, and that will satisfy the, the need to prove a pattern of racketeering activity. So you got Trump's call, you've got fake electors, you've got Rudy's uh, lying to Georgia state legislators. I don't know if Lindsey Graham is part of a conspiracy, but what we do know is Brad Raffensperger, one of their own tribe, a fellow Republican, said Lindsey Graham called me multiple times and it sounded to me like he was urging me to toss out lawfully cast mm -hmm. ballots. That also feels like soliciting election fraud, but who knows how the evidence has played out in the grand jury. There's only one person or one team that knows whether they have the goods to bring a RICO case under Georgia state law. That's Fonnie Willis and her team. And we won't know until the first indictment drops. Right. So then what happens when Donald Trump turns around and makes the claim, I don't know what Rudy was doing. Rudy's drunk all the time. Rudy's an idiot. Rudy wasn't speaking on my behalf. Rudy Kaludi, you know, should have retired 20 years ago when he still had some respect. I have nothing to do with it. And that's what somebody like Donald Trump will do. And it's something that he will say in order to exonerate himself completely from it. He'll throw everybody. I never told them that. In fact, what I was saying to Brad Raffensperger was I know that the system is This is my mommy, Yakubu. <laughs> Break it on down now. Ooh, 20 hours ago. Trump in panic modes. Indictment in two weeks. X Manhattan. X Manhattan prosecutor reveals more horrible news for Trump. Nifilo reporting on the latest developments with Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA's office, and the Donald Trump, what looks to be an indictment, although I'm going to ask my colleague, former top prosecutor in the same office as Alvin Bragg, 
um, who was there for, for many, many years, including overlapping investigations of Donald Trump, although she wasn't involved, per se, in the one we're going to talk about today. But I can't think of anybody who's better positioned to answer the questions of people that follow our show and these hot takes on what is going on in Karen. Let me frame it first, and then I'm going to turn it right over to her former top prosecutor, uh, Karen. So what do we have? We've got the Manhattan DA's office open. In January, a new grand jury to investigate Donald Trump on one issue, one criminal issue. Whether the hush money payment paid to Stormy Daniels to cover up her having sex with Donald Trump, as she's alleged, in Las Vegas in 2006 while he was married, and how Donald Trump handled those payments on the books and records of the Trump Organization through Michael Cohen, through Alan Weisselberg, the CFO who's now sitting in jail at Rikers Island, through the controller of the company, using the National Enquirer's publisher, David Pecker or Picard, and, and other people related to the National Enquirer, using Stormy Daniels' attorney as a conduit to make the $130,000 payment. Does this state? a state crime in the state of New York against Donald Trump. That's what Alvin Bragg is asking of a grand jury. He's brought in a series of witnesses that we've reported on on Legal AF, our podcast, but I'll give a rundown of it now. He's brought in already David Pecker, David Picard of the National Enquirer, his partner in crime, Dylan Howard, who was involved with identifying people who claimed to have had affairs or sex with Donald Trump while, while he was married and catching and killing that story by giving off payments. Uh, uh, we also have the testimony of Kellyanne Conway, who was involved in the payments to um, uh, Stormy Daniels through Michael Cohen. We had Michael Cohen, who is about to testify, um, and, will, and has testified, I believe, in front of the grand jury about his role in stroking the initial check for $130,000, covering it up, having the Trump Organization reimburse him, Michael Cohen, for those payments. We've had um, all of those people testify already. And now the latest is that Alvin Bragg and his office have announced that they have invited Donald Trump to come in and testify as the target in front of the grand jury. Karen, let's get to it. How unusual is it for Alvin Bragg or a prosecutor to invite the target in? What has to happen for that to happen? And how close are we then to a prosecution or an indictment? How close are we on the one yard line? Are we at the 50 yard line? 
our listeners and followers want to know. Karen Friedman, the good fellow, formerly the Manhattan DA's office. Tell us all about it. Actions speak louder than words. It's the perfect phrase for what's happening right now. You don't have Alvin Bragg out there announcing what's happening or telling the world what's happening. He's just doing it. And he's moving forward in exactly the way he should be moving. And what this signals is they are on the one yard line about to go across the finish line of an indictment against Donald Trump. And let's talk about why we know that based on Alvin Bragg's actions. So Really, what's happening here is you can charge someone in New York one of two ways, either just by a felony complaint and then they get arrested and then eventually you have to go to the grand jury in order to proceed on that case. Or you can go straight to the grand jury, which is what Alvin Bragg is doing here and what is often done in cases that take a while to put in the grand jury because they're complicated like this one. And so that's what they've done. And what Alvin Bragg has done is given Donald Trump notice that he's in the grand jury and an opportunity to testify that if he wants to in the grand jury. And that way, Donald Trump can't later argue that he wasn't given an opportunity to go in and testify. But a defendant or a target, however you want to call it, but it would be a potential defendant, uh, somebody who you are thinking of charges against in the grand jury in order to testify in the grand jury would have to waive immunity, meaning he has a right to testify, but only if he waives immunity. Because in New York, when a person goes in the grand jury, they're automatically given full transactional immunity for that crime. And so when you put someone in the grand jury, when they testify, you have to be careful to make sure that they are not a target in any way. But if you think they are, then they have to waive immunity and they come in and they testify. And if he were to choose to do that, which I'm sure he will not, he would then, all any statements he made would be able to be used against him at a future trial. Now, a grand jury has a different legal standard than a criminal trial. The, the, the standard is probable cause, which is the same as reasonable cause to believe that a crime occurred. It's like the 51%, right? We think it happened. But Alvin Bragg is not going in the grand jury on just probable cause here. He would not go in the grand jury and put a case in against a former president if he didn't know that he could prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the standard in every single criminal trial across this country to to find any person guilty of a crime. And so Alvin Bragg is in the grand jury and he is signaled to Donald Trump that they are close to an indictment by saying, do you want to come in? And do you want to give your side of the story? And by doing that, what he's saying is, I'm close to an indictment, and I can prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. So it is stunning what is happening right now. Yay. They are about to charge a former president. And as I said, actions Yay. speak louder than words, and nobody knows that better than Alvin Bragg, who is acting right now. He's not going in like... Like we've seen others saying, oh, charges are imminent or anything. He's saying nothing. He's just acting. And so stay tuned. Here we are. Yeah, Alvin Bragg is taking a lot of um, understandable criticism. It's not Alvin Bragg who looks like he will be the first prosecutor out of the box with a grand jury. It's only been seated for two months to indict, first time in our American history, a former president for a crime. I want to talk about that crime and unpack some of the really amazing insider observations by you, Karen, having been in that office, having been in the chair 
maybe not Alvin's chair as the the Manhattan DA, but sitting right next to that person, making all those major decisions and on your own cases for which you for which you were the lead prosecutor, so you know exactly uh, what the pressure he's been under. And I love the observation that you made, but I've really heard nowhere else that even though Alvin Bragg and his team could be going at a lower standard, if this was just a run-of-the-mill you know, pickpocket or uh, or criminal, because it is the president of the United States, they are mindful of that, and they are already using the higher burden in order to make the case as airtight as possible coming out of the indictment stage. It's not enough just to indict a, somebody like Donald Trump. you got to have the goods, you got to have the evidence, the witnesses all lined all up. And it looks things. like Alvin Bragg is feeling really great about <laughs> his case, having put on these six witnesses in front of the grand jury. We, we've, been, we've been watching them parade in. Everybody from the former executive assistant to Donald Trump, who I'm sure knows everything about where everybody is buried. You know, she, uh, Deb Jarasoff has gone in, the controller, the CFO sitting in Rikers Island for his own felony tax fraud conviction. Alan Weisselberg, Michael Cohen, a lead witness here because he's the one that uh, paid the money, told Ke Kellyanne Conway that the deed was done got reimbursed the $130,000 as a cover-up on the books of the Trump Organization, got bonuses on top of that, up to $400,000, and all of it. And he's put the case together. I mean, everybody's like, Michael Cohen's enough, Michael Cohen's enough. He, you know, he's been out and very, very, very public. But we know that Michael Cohen has a special brand of baggage that comes with him testifying. We're not questioning his credibility. We're not questioning that he's his mea culpa, as he says it himself. But... He is a felon convicted of lying to Congress and is and also uh, for fraud related to, things not related to Donald Trump when he was in the taxi, the taxi cab business. So we, he's got some things where there's going to be an hour of cross-examination or more at trial against Michael Cohen and his credibility. <laughs> Donald Trump, of course, is already tweeting away and his lawyer, Joe Tacopina, somebody we've spoken about both on the Legal AF podcast and on Hot Takes, Joe Tacopina is going to be the lead lawyer for this prosecution. He says uh, it, it, it's sort of ridiculous that they're bringing this case now. This is a vendetta. This is the weaponization of the DA's office. And, of course, Donald Trump follows suit and will put up his truth socials about, again, all of the uh, dog whistles of Donald Trump against the prosecutor, whether it's Bonnie Willis in Fulton County or Patricia James, New York Attorney General, or it's Alvin Bragg. It's always the same. That person's a racist, because Donald <laughs> Trump doesn't understand the definition of racism. Um, that person is a, a socialist. It's supported by George Soros. There's no case here. Why don't they go look for real crime and stop picking on Donald Trump? All the whataboutisms. What about crime and litter in New York? Go after that. Don't go after me. But let's remind everybody. Alvin Bragg is also the only prosecutor in America who's ever taken down and gotten a criminal conviction against Donald Trump's major business organization, 17-count criminal conviction by a jury just in August for felony tax evasion, for cooking the books. So for all the flack that he's taken, standing on the shoulder of his own body of work, he picked the one crime that's not that complicated to prove. The $130,000, it got paid to Stormy Daniels. Lawyers will testify to that. It came out of Michael Cohen's bank account, and Michael Cohen got reimbursed by the Trump Organization. Everybody admits that. 
The question for this prosecution, I want to turn it to you, Karen, is, is this a state crime at the felony level, the combination of hush money payment and the the recording on the books of a New York corporation that this was for legal services rendered, which is a lie, which is a false entry on the books of a New York a New York uh, corporation, combined with the fact that it was in in, in um, it was in the furtherance of getting Donald Trump elected to a federal but not state office. So you've got some thicky uh, some sticky wickets that have to be walked through, some minefields as a prosecutor to put up the crime in front of the grand jury, in front of the ultimate jury here. What do you think about, we know the facts, the, nobody's disputing the facts other than Donald Trump claiming that, you know, again, uh, the woman who claims that to have had sex with him wasn't his type and she's not attractive. That's not a defense and we know that's a lie. Um, but that whole series of facts, does that equal a state of New York felony for which you think a prosecutor can get a conviction in front time. of a jury in New York? What about some prison Well, you just put your finger on the exact issue in the case. So as you said, they're going to be able to corroborate Michael Cohen, which they're going to have to do because he's a tricky witness for the reasons you said. But also don't forget, he was prosecuted federally by the Southern District for covering up these hush money payments for this case. But they chose okay, to not bring a case against the former president, against Donald Trump. So that's going to be an issue. Why didn't they bring the case? But as you said, factually, I think they're going to have it now beyond a reasonable doubt that money was paid and that the records were uh, were not um, kept properly. And, but the question is, does the law, is the law here clear? And experts are saying the law here is the biggest hurdle that Alvin Bragg is going to get have to get over because this is an untested legal theory that he's going on. He's, he's going to be uh, prosecuted for falsifying business records, which is a crime in New York. Uh, but it's a misdemeanor. And to elevate the crime of falsifying business records, you'd have to show that Trump intended to defraud a crime, uh, intended to, that his intent to defraud, sorry, included an intent, an intent to commit or conceal a second crime. So it can't be enough to just intend to defraud. It has to be in order to hide or conceal or commit a crime. And so what crime did he do here? Because the misdemeanor, first of all, you're not going to uh, bring a misdemeanor case against the former president, probably. And second, I think the statute of limitations has already run on that. But here, what is the crime that he intended to cover up? And the theory that they're going to go with is that it was an improper donation, like a campaign finance donation, because it, it um, benefited his presidency. But the question is, is this was a federal election, right? So do New York election laws apply? Does that work? Or do federal election laws apply? And can you, in New York, what, what's unclear and what's untested is whether the crime he intended to conceal or cover up was a federal crime. And so that's going to be the issue that a judge, either at the trial level or if he's convicted the appellate level, will ultimately decide this case on. But by the time we get to that, I think there will be many, many other indictments against him in other jurisdictions. But that really is the legal legal issue. And I think what's happening here is there's enough to bring the case because they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And they feel they have enough 
to bring the case under the law and test the law. And I think a New York jury will convict him of these crimes. To me, I think that this signals that Alvin Bragg has gotten over the hurdle of the analysis of what crimes that he'll be able to charge. Obviously, he's putting on a case in front of a grand jury. So whether they have reached the decision analytically from a jurisprudential level that the, the match of falsifying business records, fraudulent business records, that they got. It's what you, it's what you talked about, Karen. Do they have the second shoe that drops? Do they have the second crime? And does that crime have to be state or federal? They've either concluded that they have a way to argue it is a state election violation somehow, or they've gotten comfortable that it's not a mismatch to have a state fraudulent business record crime married to a federal crime as long as because it's crime and so that it crosses over state or federal um state or federal uh bodies of law does not seem to matter to them i agree with you there is no way he's gone this far and this probably with the grand jury to get a misdemeanor against donald trump he's he has crossed the rubicon alvin Bragg and his team of prosecutors to believe that they can get a felony which according to my research is if if convicted he could be sentenced up to four years in prison in jail for that particular crime the analysis that you gave really from a vantage point that no one else no one else out there has 30 years in the manhattan da's office working in and around these very types of issues um, and knowing exactly the pressures that are on a prosecutor and why he's been so cautious yet now bold in his decision making as prosecutor with his team to go in and what this signals to finally go to the criminal target and his lawyers and say, here's your chance. Um, drop your immunity and come in and testify before the grand jury if you don't want that chance and you want to talk to me and make a presentation, like a white paper presentation, as to why your guy shouldn't go to jail. I'm all ears. There's been no reporting that Takapina, for instance, has been in dialogue with the uh, Manhattan DA's office. Do you think now, let's leave it on this one, on this hot take, do you think now Takapina is motivated, knowing the client that he has, to have a sit-down with the Manhattan DA's office, and do you think Alvin Bragg has it? I doubt they would, I doubt it. I mean, too much water under the bridge, no trust, you know, so I doubt it. I doubt there's any collegial conversations going on other than logistics, things like when do you want to show up or what, but there, there's really not much to talk about here. You know, what, which is one thing I wanted to leave this on, which is it's very important for Alvin Bragg to bring this case because a Republican or any president can't pardon a state court case, a crime conviction. So again, it's important for the state prosecutors to also bring cases, not just Jack Smith, so that he can't be pardoned. But one thing to that I think Trump will argue is if he gets he pardons himself or gets someone to pardon him for the federal election violation, will that then undo this federal this felony crime if it's relying on that federal crime that he's covering up? Just something to think about and something yeah. to keep in mind. You know, there's there's a long road here when it comes to uh, 
getting this across the finish yeah. line, but we're, we're at the one-yard line, as you said. Good. I love the one-yard line. And I think ultimately he's not going to be convicted, per se, of the federal underlying crime. They're going to show that he violated the federal underlying crime. So I think the, the tag that's going to end up on him by a jury in convicting is going to be this falsifying, fraudulent business record in furtherance of another crime. But I don't think they necessarily have to prove the crime and get, I don't think he's going to get convicted of a federal crime in state court. Could be wrong. This is my thinking. You and I are going to follow it both on the Wednesday edition of Legal AF, our top rated political and legal podcast and, th and throughout. This has been a hot take. Karen and I, and, and I do them on a, on a regular basis. I bring Karen in on really important things that involve Donald Trump and the Manhattan DA's office, especially, because I could think of anybody with more expertise than her on this. If you like them, follow the Midas Touch Network. Follow me on social media at MS Popak. Karen, what's your social media handle? KFA Legal, at KFA Legal. That's easy, KFA Legal. <laughs> and this is Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Ignifolo reporting on the imminent and likely indictment of Donald Trump by the Manhattan DA's office in the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up crime. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Right. <gasps> Y'all, right there's got just what you need for your home. Do they have stylish beds at great prices? Woo! That bed is dreamy. You're coming, Claude. Yeah. And you're in our bed. Yeah. What about five star dining sets? Sorry to have a reservation. You know, Kelly Clark? I love your work. Find just what you need in Wayfair, even a personal song. Ooh, can we do the Wayfair song? Yes, you can. Wayfair, you said just what I need. Wow. Grapes to my peacocks. Peacock has a brand new filter. It's called AI Portrait, and it's going to increase your views like this. All right, here we go. Just add the filter, stay still, and then here comes the portrait. Okay, anyway, thanks for 72k listens to my I heard you speaking about the young woman who had been the foreperson on the Fulton County election fraud case, and you seem certain that she was within her legal rights and that it won't affect Trump's case um, at all. But if you were to speculate, who is Fannie Willis going to indict? Well, what we know from the four women of the special grand jury, Emily Kors, um, is that they recommended that more than a dozen people be indicted. When she was asked, is Donald Trump among those people, you know, she kind of had that Cheshire Cat smile and she said, look, we started 
with that dirty phone call. This is, I'm paraphrasing what she said. We started with the phone call, find me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner. So I don't think you're going to be shocked and I don't think it's rocket science who we have recommended be indicted. And then in I think a subsequent interview when she was told by the reporter, did you see that Donald Trump just posted that your report totally exonerates him? You could see the shock on her face. She also said they talked about him a lot. He said that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. I love that. (laughs) You don't have to read between the lines. It looks like Donald Trump is somebody they recommended be indicted. Now, does that guarantee that when Fawnie Willis takes that special grand jury report with those recommendations and heads over to the regular grand jury, the one with the power to indict, that she will say, you know, I am urging you to accept all of these recommendations and indict all of these people. It's not a guarantee, but Michael, when she asked for the special grand jury to be in town so she could subpoena these 75 reluctant witnesses, and she got a report from them saying, now that we've assessed the evidence, here are the people who should be indicted, including the liars. I can't imagine District Attorney Willis disregarding all that and not asking the regular grand jury to indict all those people. Now, who are those people going to be? You know, you're probably going to have a smattering of fake electors. Now, can I say it's going to be the Mark Meadows of the world, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, the Sidney Powell's, the Janet Ellis's? I mean, we don't know, but... Um, I, I did find it really interesting that Ms. Coors said that she found guys like Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham to at least be telling the truth about stuff. Now, I don't think we can mistake that for a pronouncement that they didn't commit any election crimes in Georgia. It just feels like they're probably not among the witnesses that the grand jury said, we believe they lied to us and we want Fonnie Willis to prosecute them for those lies. What happens when the prostate enlarges and the urine channel gets tight? She had an enlarged prostate visit by second Japanese morning ritual to print it almost immediately. If you've been suffering from nighttime cleaning, incomplete emptying of the bladder or a weak urine flow for more than three months, then you need to hear this. It means that your prostate is so swollen that if left untreated, this could lead to an unexpected and total shutdown of your urethra, which will make passing urine completely impossible. Harvard scientists have recently discovered a way to have a fully functional Where prostate until well over your 90s. Their studies show that a swollen prostate is a completely reversible oh, yeah. condition. It has nothing to do with genetics or age. This is excruciating, Tristan. a powerful growth substance produced by your body, which feeds the prostate tissue to grow 24-7, causing dangerous inflammation, <laughs> progressing into benign prostatic hyperplasia and other risky well, symptoms. Gotta sit down. Over 275,000 regular men have naturally shrank their prostate and reclaimed their vibrant health, confidence and manhood by following the newly discovered prostate shrinking... Okay, so let me ask you this thing. There's so much speculation about what an indictment of Trump in this Fulton County, Georgia case would look like. What are the charges that you think that Fonnie Willis would end up bringing 
against, and let's talk about only Donald first, um, and then we'll talk about Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, and Sidney the Kraken Powell, and a slew of the others, who I'll group by themselves. But let's talk about Donald first. What do you think the crimes that they can charge Donald with in that specific case? I, I think the, mar the marquee crime is soliciting election fraud in violation of Georgia state law, which is a felony. I say that's a marquee crime because you can prove it by just pressing play. You know, I had the good fortune of trying some RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C., in which we had wiretap evidence. And in cases apart from RICO cases, I had covert recordings of the defendants talking about the crimes they intended to commit, the crimes they were planning to commit, and the crimes they in fact committed. And Michael, I called those trials just press play. Because when you can press play and have your just jurors give me a across the courtroom, you know, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. DOJ the marquee charge, you? I think, of soliciting election fraud, asking former Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, just give me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner. I have just basically summarized the evidence necessary to prove the elements of that crime, soliciting election fraud. I think that will be a marquee charge. Now, I would urge people to read the Brookings Institute deep dive because they set out a dozen crimes, felonies and misdemeanors alike. I haven't committed them all to memory that they believe the public facing evidence shows Donald Trump committed. But here's the other thing that I, I think is a big ticket question. And there was a, a good op-ed in the New York Times by Norm Eisen and Idanya Perry and a, another a prosecutor whose name, I'm sorry, I, I don't recall offhand. Um, and they talked about should D.A. Willis bring a narrow targeted case with just a marquee charge or maybe the two or three most readily provable charges? Or should she go scorched earth and use Georgia's RICO laws to try mm -hmm. to bring a broad, yeah. sweeping prosecution yeah. of Donald Trump and all of his criminal associates yeah. for all of the crimes they committed. Yeah, do it. I would urge, not that Bonnie That'd Willis needs to hear anything awesome. from me, she's doing just fine. Um, <laughs> I would urge the broad, sweeping RICO approach, and here's why. I tried more than 50 murder cases in the courts of Washington, D.C. Most of them were what I call standalone murder cases. I had a murder as the marquee charge, and then maybe I had some related charges like, uh, you know, uh, use of a firearm during a crime of violence, maybe assault with intent to kill if somebody else caught a stray bullet. But basically, it was a contained prosecution, one incident. But then, when I was across the street in federal district court prosecuting RICO cases, because I was involved in the prosecution of the largest RICO conspiracy case we ever brought in federal court in D.C., um, we had more than 100 charges. We had countless racketeering acts. We had murder after murder. We had an organization that was running the drug trade in all four quadrants of Washington, D.C. What did that do? It gave the jury the power of context. This is not one crime or one marquee crime. This is a criminal organization 
And it feels to me like Donald Trump has been a member of multiple criminal organizations in his life. One is the Trump Organization, now convicted of a 15-year-long criminal scheme to defraud the first degree. Uh, it, it feels like his administration was Guilty being run as a criminal man. organization or enterprise. And oh, certainly, yeah. you know, everything he was doing down in Georgia with the assistance of others feels like a criminal organization. Go ahead. So let me let me stop you there a second because there's a big difference between something feeling like a RICO versus it actually being a RICO case. Now, I started reading up everything I could on the Georgia RICO Act, uh, which is under you know the Georgia Penal Code, uh, Section 16, and I just really started to get into it because I was curious whether or not Bonnie Willis would do exactly what many legal experts which I don't put myself in your category. I don't, I, in fact, I'm not even a lawyer anymore, right? Uh, I've been, uh, you know, with my disbarment. Yeah, but you uh, can still so run for office. But I started reading up onto this, and in order for um, Bonnie Willis to bring this Georgia racketeer influence and corrupt 